Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, I speak with the people who are doing interesting things in pathology and related fields. Today, my guests are Dr. Emilio Madrigal and Dr. Rafat Manan. They are the founders of PathCast, which is a live streaming pathology lecture series that's broadcast through YouTube and Facebook. Today on the show, we'll talk about the origin of PathCast, how they developed the series, how they recruited speakers, and what they hope to do in the future. You'll definitely want to subscribe to PathCast after listening to this. Now, here's Dr. Manan and Dr. Madrigal. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. So I wanted to start from each of you. I wanted to learn a little bit about your background. Let's start with you, Dr. Madrigal. Can you tell me um, a little bit about your background, how you got into pathology, and uh, how you chose your specialty? Let's see. Where to begin? I was born in Cuba, and so I was born in Cuba, and when I was um, six months old, we moved to Nicaragua. That's where my mom is from. My dad's Cuban, and my mom's Nicaraguan. And okay. growing up, they so my mom's a pharmacist, and my dad's an internal medicine doc. I don't know. I think my dad always had very nice things to say about pathologists, and maybe that had some influence in my decision. But I almost pretty, I pretty much always knew that I was either going to be a pharmacist or a doctor. And then when I went the uh, medicine route, just hearing all the nice things about pathology, and I was always drawn to the microscope. I guess I just decided to choose pathology as a specialty. Do you have a subspecialty in in pathology? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So what I I did a uh, fellowship in cytopathology, and that was down in Atlanta, Georgia. Spent a year down in Atlanta doing a cytopathology uh, fellowship down at Emory. My program director was Michelle Reed, Dr. Michelle Reed. And okay. then I did an, uh, an informatics fellowship, a clinical informatics fellowship, and that's that was at uh, Mass General Hospital. I combined the two of them. So I, I participated in a blended fellowship. So I did uh, some informatics projects during my cytopathology fellowship and then continued some of my cytology uh, projects during my informatics fellowship. So I was able to combine both fellowships and finish them in two years. And uh, Dr. Manan, how about, how about you? Can you tell me about your background? Hi, thank you, Darius, first of all, for having us today on your podcast. Of course. Thank of course. you. So I'm a GI pathologist, and I work as an assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania here. I had a kind of okay. circuitous journey before I actually reached the U.S. So I grew up in Assam, which is a small state in northeast part of India, and I went to medical school there in my home state. And uh, in fact, uh, I also completed a pathology residency there. I mean, I went to New Delhi, where I did my pathology residency at the All India Institute of Medical Sciences there. So after residency, I got a job offer in Middle East, and I went to Kuwait, where I worked as a pathologist uh, for a few years. So that's where I decided that I wanted to come to U.S. And I realized that okay. uh, I had no other way than to do a pathology residency all over again. So after all the arduousness of the MLE steps, and I had some initial visa hiccups, so I reached New York in 2013 for my pathology residency at uh, Mount Sinai Health System. 
So this is where I met Emilio as a co-resident and we both uh, became good friends and we had a great time there. And after residency, I went for my GI and liver pathology fellowship at Johns Hopkins University. And then I joined UPenn uh, for, for a faculty where I joined here. So regarding pathology, so I always thought that pathology is a very unique discipline with uh, somewhat you can say that it is the science behind the cure kind of a thing. And in med school, you know, I read this famous novel that we know that uh, Final Diagnosis by Arthur Haley. So I got quite fascinated by the fact that it's often the pathologist who, you know, has the final diagnosis for a disease. So I also thought that, oh, why should I not be that individual who will offer the final diagnosis and get involved in patient care in a very unique and a very different kind of a way? You know, a lot of, and I've had a few other guests on the show where I've asked them, because people often say about pathologists that you don't, you don't see actual patients. And maybe when you, when you chose pathology, people would say, you know, why, why are you, why are you doing that? You're, you're good with patients and you're good with people. Why would you want to be, you know, tucked away in the lab? Did, did either of you hear that kind of thing? Actually, I heard that a lot during my okay. rotations. Um, I had. You know, I have very good uh, bedside manner, I guess you could say, or I, at least that's, that's what I that's what I was told, and, and I felt like I did um, have very good bedside manner. Um, I thought at first I wanted to do uh, OBGYN, actually, something that I was very interested in. I really enjoyed um, my uh, OB rotations and delivering babies and whatnot. I also liked uh, being in the clinic and seeing patients. And so when, what I, you know, that's one thing that I like about pathology is that it's, you know, you could, you could do, it's so broad and you can do so many things within pathology. And so during our residency, uh, you know, where we're fine and I were both at Mount Sinai, you know, we had a very busy transfusion medicine service. And actually during that service, you, you actually, you round on patients, you see a lot of patients uh, for the apheresis service. And same thing with cytology, right? With cytopathology, you're actually interacting with patients because you're doing fine needle aspiration biopsies. And so now I'm on staff here at uh, the Mass General in Boston. And so, you know, I do FNAs. And yeah, you know, I, I still maintain uh, that contact with, with patients, which I, which I very much enjoy. I love the weeks that I'm on uh, FNA service because I know that I'm going to be interacting with patients. Okay. I also agree with Emilio what he says that uh, there are many ways for the pathologist to get involved directly as well. So we are never far away from directly interacting with the patients. Exactly. And I think uh, we're going to get into a big way that, that the two of you together have gotten, have, have created a, a way to interact with a, a lot of people. Before that though, you were both part of the uh, the power list in the Pathologist magazine last year, uh, 2019. W what was that experience like? Did you did you learn anything from that? Thank you. So it was quite an honor for us to be featured in the power list, and it feels good that our work got recognized, and we feel humbled. And it's also an encouragement that uh, we should continue doing what we love to do. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I completely agree with Rafat. I mean, it definitely, it, it's encouraging, right, to be recognized for doing the things that we love doing. And so, you know, it just gives us more 
more um it just conti- we continue you know we we love doing pathcasts and so being featured on this we absolutely were just encouraged to continue doing what we what we're doing sure sure it's like uh you know vindication or whatever that you know what what you've been building has actually made a difference to people and you're being recognized for that that that's got to feel great absolutely all right so let's 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 talk about pathcast then the two of you now I understand you came up with the idea while the two of you were were co-residents. Is that correct? Right, right. Okay. Can can you tell me about how, how did how did you come up with it? What was the idea? Oh, that's an interesting story. Actually, you're quite right. It dates back to May 2016. So we were about to start our fourth and final year of pathology residency uh, at Mount Sinai, in New York. So we were looking for ideas about how we could uh, enhance our resident didactic sessions. So one thought okay. that came to our mind is that what if we invite some experts and that would provide a kind of a different learning perspective. So we reached out to several experts and they readily agreed to participate. But we bumped into an unusual challenge. And as many of our speakers were not local to New York, and to our disadvantage, our residency program did not have an established policy to finance expenses of inviting guest speakers. So that was kind of a disappointment, Uh, but uh, we didn't want to lose on this unique opportunity to learn from these experts and uh, who were so much willing to teach us. So we were wondering how we could circumvent this problem. And as is often said that uh, necessity is sometimes the mother of all innovations. So then the idea came to our mind, right? right that uh, if we could host these guest speakers through video conferencing and we asked our speakers and they also liked the proposition that, oh sure, let's do it. So for our first such video conferencing talk, so we used WebEx and our residents loved that experience. So, and we didn't have the problem of uh, spending on the guest speaker and it was, it worked quite well. And that was very inspiring for us. And we started wondering that maybe what if we can broadcast these lectures live and maybe we can amplify the reach of the lecture beyond the confines of our conference room. So then we started experimenting with something like maybe we thought that let's use uh, uh, Twitter's Periscope. That was the, you know, I mean, that was quite popular at that time. And we had some initial glitches and it was quite successful, actually. Yeah, I think the main um, one of the one of the reasons why we decided to use um, what we first started with WebEx, for example, it's because one thing that we failed to mention to you was that our residency program, right? It, we were not all just in one building. Okay. So, we okay. Were, you know, it's, it's New York city. And so we have, you know, we have hospitals across the, the city in, in Manhattan and you know, Manhattan, although it's quite small, it's, it, you know, obviously there are a lot of people there. And so we have a hospital in the lower East side, there's a hospital uh, in Midtown and a hospital in the, um, by Morningside uh, in West Harlem, essentially. And so the reason why we needed to have this as a video conference, right, is that we needed to reach the other residents in our in our program. And so as Rafat was saying, um, when we had 
our first lecturer, they really, you know, the other residents, they really enjoyed it. They're like, okay, well, great. Now we don't all have to come to the same building to be able to watch these lectures, right? We can just tune in remotely. And so, well, if we can do that with local presenters, right, uh, faculty within our department, why not reach out to other folks who were willing to deliver these lectures? And hey, if our residents can benefit from them, then why not have other residents benefit from them? Sure. Okay. Now, I, I'm not a doctor. I didn't go to medical school, but I, but I work with residents. They're busy. They're really busy. How did you find the time to, to, to do this? <laughs> I think it was for the love of it. You know, we were, I would say that we were lucky and uh, our class was quite enthusiastic. And I mean, we all were quite enthusiastic to do something. We tried a lot of stuff when we were residents and uh, I think uh, that was the main idea. And we really loved this concept of, you know, like, I mean, uh, getting speakers on board and then broadcasting. That was kind of a new thing. And Emilio was so much into all this informatics stuff. So he always came up with different ideas, how to do it. Hey, let's try these, let's try that. So that was kind of, we found it very, I mean, uh, you know, involving. We loved it. Yeah, I think, you know, also around that time, this was, you know, May 2016, it was so, so Facebook Live was available back in 2015, but that was only to high-end accounts, uh, you know, just famous people and like uh, corporate accounts and that kind of stuff. But around the time when we were doing this, um, Facebook Live started to roll out and become available to just the everyday user. At first, it was only on your phone, right? I, I, don't, you know, I don't know if people remember that or not, but it was only for iPhone and Android. You couldn't do it on your computer. Um, and then YouTube Live, that, you know, that all that started happening as well. And like Rafat was saying, uh, one thing that was happening a lot was uh, Twitter Periscope. And so we decided to use Periscope because it was easy, right? I mean, you could just do it on your phone. So basically, whatever your phone can record, you'd be able to record that and uh, stream it live on, on Twitter. And so, you know, we, we tried that at first. And so like Rafat was saying, you know, it's just like we, we were we were interested in it, it was almost like uh, we were very fortuitous, right? But these things were kind of coming together. We we had to drive to stream lectures or to um, or, or to get lectures to present uh topics to us but then there was the opportunity right through some of these online social uh online uh, uh platforms like facebook youtube and twitter to be able to broadcast mm -hmm. this to a larger audience so the two of you then presented a poster about pathcast at the uh united states and canadian academy of pathology meeting in 2016 so that was sh shortly after you started it is that correct yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think it was uh, we started in May 2016, and uh, the uh, you know abstract submission deadline was I think September of that year. So by that time, in those few months, we already had a few lectures that we broadcasted, and so Emilia and I we came with the idea that you know I mean let us uh, present an abstract on it, and that's uh, what we worked on. And we had some more data when we presented it uh, in March later. Right, Amelia? That's correct. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember exactly how many videos we had at that point, but 
definitely we had mm -hmm. you know gone through several different topics within pathology right like so liver pathology uh head and neck pathology a lot of um we had a uh, thoracic pathology some forensic path stuff so yeah we definitely had um a decent amount of data to present right so it was about the different topics and then the number of of viewers that had come in and watched these lectures of uh, the countries that they had watched it from so it was you know it was very exciting because you know we, we all of this was being streamed live no longer just for our residents but it was now being streamed to a global audience and that was awesome to see to see it grow right so it went from you know we just had our small twitter account and having the the broadcast go live on Periscope, but then we moved into YouTube. And I think that was the biggest move that we ended up making, right? Just shifting away or, or expanding beyond Periscope and, and Twitter, because I mean, Twitter's great, but you know, it's still, in, it, it, it's small in comparison to Facebook and YouTube, right? I mean, when you consider what, you know, what is the largest social network, I mean, it's Facebook, two point two billion monthly active users, you know, and then right behind that, it's like uh, YouTube with 1.9 billion uh, monthly active yeah. users. And right behind that is WhatsApp with 1.5 billion. And, you know, Twitter somewhere down there, like you know, 10, 11 or 12 or something like that with 300 million users. So I mean, Twitter is great, but we realized that if we truly wanted to reach the global audience that we were hoping to reach, then we needed to move into Facebook. And then eventually we moved into YouTube and started having the double uh, broadcast. And now we do triple broadcasts where we have Facebook and YouTube and Twitter Periscope. Okay. So what, what year about was this when you started moving into more Facebook and YouTube? So it all started in May 2016. That was our first lecture with Dr. Thies. And then right. I I would say, I, I think it was either a week or two from then. We It was very quick. We realized that it just, oh, okay. it, it, Periscope was not going to cut it, right? So we, we needed to move into, into YouTube. And just a couple of weeks later, we had another lecture and it was another lecture by Dr. Thies. And I'm looking at the date right here. It's June 10th, 2016. So by June, you know, we were already streaming live into uh, to YouTube. It wasn't until the beginning of February of uh, 2017. It was February 2017 that we ended up opening the uh, Facebook channel or the Facebook page. Now, you mentioned that the initially the speakers were uh, local. And how did you start branching beyond that to, to you know, remote speakers? Right, right. Uh, so actually regarding speakers, it was interesting. Um, kind of like, you know, we had a little bit of a hit and miss approach, if you want to say that. And we were really, very lucky that at that time, uh, some of our senior faculty members were really great. And we would always be very thankful to Dr. Neil Tees, who was our first speaker. And many of uh, the pathologists know him, that he's a very well-renowned liver pathologist. And he was at that time mm -hmm. a senior faculty at Mount Sinai. Now he has moved to uh, NYU where he's a professor. So when we approached him initially, that uh, he was really very excited when we said that we want to broadcast a slide seminar. 
And he really loved the idea that, oh, it's great to share knowledge to a global audience. And he, in fact, reached out to his own contacts at other places. And we still remember that he biked all the way from Lower East Side of Manhattan on the very early morning. And in fact, he reached the conference room much before even many of us were there. And at that time, we also had several really very interested faculty members. And Dr. Wenig was our chairman, who is a very uh, well-known head and neck pathology uh, pathologist. So he is he was the chairman at that time. And uh, we also reached out to several uh, remote speakers, like, of course, whom we knew in other cities. So then uh, that's how it started that, like, you know, we wanted to, we reached out to some of the remote, remote speakers as well, with whom we connected through video conferencing. Okay. So do you remember anything else, Emilio? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it too was just like, you know, just the availability, right? Maybe we wanted a, uh, a Reno pathology lecture, but maybe our Reno pathologists at the time just didn't have the time or they were on a very busy clinical week or something like that. So then we would have to reach out, you know, we realized that we had to try to reach out to somebody else so that they could essentially fill in, right? If we, if we wanted to have a, a lecture on renal pathology, for example. So I, I think that's, that's part of, that's sort of how it started, right? We just, just started to branch out and to almost like give our faculty a little bit of a break, right? Because maybe it was just, we were asking too much of them. You mentioned that within your own resident residency program, th there was great feedback. Everybody loved it. What were some of the things you heard from outside of your own program? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's a good question. And uh, as we say that initially we started with Twitter's Periscope for live broadcast, right? And before that, like we... Mm -hmm actually had a Twitter account. We started a Twitter account and we publicized the event on Twitter maybe a week prior to the lecture. And in fact, we were so thrilled that uh, when we saw so many people who joined the initial few lectures or like one or two lectures that we did on Periscope, there were not only people from in, out, inside of New York, there were viewers from outside of New York, from other cities in US, as well as there were some viewers from some other countries as well. And we were so excited and thrilled to see the hard signs and the likes which used to pop into the screen. That's right. It was a very yeah. positive response in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it was positive. Um, that's for sure. Uh, and I think it, it was just, I mean, you, you got to remember, right, going back, what is it, four years now, you know, there just weren't that many of these live stream uh, pathology lectures. If you wanted to get a live pathology lecture, had to go to a pathology meeting, right? Sure, you could right. you could have go into someone's YouTube channel and watch something that's been recorded. But I mean, actually having something live and being able to interact with the presenter, I think that's the that's the that's the big selling point here, right? Is that it's almost like being live at a lecture with uh, with the presenter. So you can come in, watch the lecture, but then there's also that interaction. If you want to have, you know, want to ask questions or leave comments, you can, you can do that. But one thing, one comment that we did get in the first few lectures that we had, or first couple of lectures that we broadcast only on Periscope, was that the audio quality just wasn't great. It wasn't as good as it could have been. And, you know, that's okay. when we, that's part of the reason why we started to, 
my you know we decided like well okay let's what what else can we do because at the time and it's no longer like that now periscope has expanded and it has um, allowed to have more uh, allowed its users to have uh, more advanced settings but at the time you could only broadcast from your phone and so you can imagine you know i mean the phone microphones have gotten better and better uh, throughout the years. Four years ago, they were okay. They're probably not as good as they are today. Um, and so right. we were essentially, I remember for that first lecture that we did with Neil, Dr. Neil Thies, right? We were mounting the phone, my iPhone. We were mounting it on the microscope with a iPhone holder so that we could see Dr. Neil Thies moving the slide, his glass slide. And I was recording that through my phone. And then when, oh, wow. <laughs> when he was starting to talk about the slide, I would sometimes move the phone and then record his face so that people could see his face as he was talking about the slide. But again, you know, you can imagine the audio quality just was not great. And so moving to youtube then opened up this whole world of more advanced settings where okay if we want to have uh better microphone inputs we can do that if we want to record the sound card right from from my computer i you know i can do that because you know think yeah. about it what were we doing when we were when we were recording uh, an external or a remote uh presenter somebody that was not in the room with me it it wasn't it wasn't very fancy, right? And so what what was happening is any sound that was coming from the speakers, right? I was recording with my microphone, and you can imagine it's like taking a picture of a picture, right? So there was a lot of sound uh -huh, degradation. Yeah. It just wasn't it wasn't great. I mean, you can you can make out what was what the lecturer was saying, but it just wasn't great. And so. Moving to YouTube just really opened up the uh, the capability to uh, you know to allow us to have just better quality to the uh, to the videos and the audio, and I think the viewers really appreciated that because now you could actually you know watch a lecture um, as if you were attending uh, a conference. I, I have to think the uh, informatics fellowship came in handy during the, this that period too. And what I still had not started my fellowship yet, but you know, I definitely had, oh, okay. you know, I definitely had that interest. And that's, you know, the, the reason why, or not the reason why, but I always had, um, I, I always had a lot of interest in computers and just technology in general. And so, um, th th that was part of the, the reason why Rafael and I were doing this too, right? Is that it, it, it was a great idea, but then it was also an exciting idea just because. It would allow us to explore some of these emerging technologies. Yeah, right. And actually, we were quite lucky to have Emilio with us at that time, to be honest, you know, because he was always excited about new technology that can be used, you know, like, I mean, what can we do? And in fact, when we joined, I still remember we had a very rudimentary website for our departmental residency program. And in fact, uh, Emilio totally revived that website and it became a really different and very vibrant website for our pathology residency. Do you remember that, Emilio? Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. So that I guess this was just an, another one, another project. I mean, like you mentioned at the, at the beginning of, uh, of, of the podcast, right? You were saying that, you know, we 
we're very busy and you're right we're, we were very busy and uh-huh. you know the work got done <laughs> the work absolutely got done and so a lot of this is just work on our spare time essentially the little spare time that we okay. had we we put into into doing this because we felt that it was important you know our our residents and you know personally we were benefiting from these great lectures and so if we could benefit from them, then I think uh, global audience absolutely can benefit from them as well. And uh, actually, you know, one thing I would like to add here is that we really had a very supportive residency program at that time because, I mean, our program director was Dr. Mark Friedman, and he was really very supportive for us. And if we wanted to do something, we, we he always trusted us that, oh, we will do something good. And he always backed us, like, I mean, supported our projects. I really appreciate that always. You've both mentioned a few times now the the global reach of PathCast. Why was that important to have a global audience? And how did you start uh, recruiting speakers from outside the U.S.? So, yeah, I mean, uh, over the last few years, so, I mean, PathCast has grown globally. And, you know, I mean, it was one of our vision that... uh, uh, how we can make pathology education open access. And we know, and it's it's quite obvious that there is a huge disparity between research reach and research poor countries. And we thought that by live broadcasting, you know, like pathology lectures, we can actually uh, kind of reach out to the remote parts of the world. And this has always been our guiding force. And that's why, like, you know, I mean, uh, the social networking platforms like Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter came in very handy in our approach, like you know, in our effort to reach out to a global audience. Because I mean, we were very passionate about doing that. That like you know, I mean, oh, what if these lectures are from experts in our field of pathology? That as Emilio mentioned, that you know, people cannot attend these lectures. And what if through this live broadcast, we can actually reach out to people anywhere in the world? That's why to reach a global audience has always been, I mean, very close to our goal in podcast, actually. Absolutely. I, and I think that, you know, broadband internet or just high-speed internet is now, I mean, it's not available everywhere in the world, but um, I'd say more places have it now than they did a decade ago. And so where it may not be feasible, right, to travel to the United States for some of the meetings that we have here with uh, the world-renowned experts across our institutions, right? Whether it's someone from Johns Hopkins or Stanford or you know UCSF or Mass General, so someone from another from a, another country may not be able to come here and 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 watch these lectures live. But having high-speed internet, you can easily just log in you know you just have to go into facebook go into youtube no registration needed and all of a sudden this lecture pops up from a world-renowned expert and head and neck and there you are and you can ask them questions and post comments and i think that's the driving force behind all of this i mean you know it's we're we're no we're no stranger to this right we're fine i like you know i again i said I, i was born in cuba and cuba still does not have high-speed internet, okay? And Nicaragua, you know, it's 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 a little bit better, but it's not to the point where the luxury of internet that we enjoy here in this country. And 
I can tell you, you know, I, I, most of my family is still back in Cuba and back in Nicaragua. And, you know, things are not the way that they are here, where we have the luxury, at least in, you know, in my department and in a lot of departments across the country, right, where just down the hall, you have a world expert on GYN pathology, a world expert on, you know, um, head and neck pathology, a world expert on uh, OB, you know, whatever it is. But some countries and some cities, like they're, they just, there's no dermatopathologist, right? And so it's just a general pathologist. Right. And so I, I, that's my driving force. And I believe that's where Fox's driving force as well is that the more education that we can get out there to the general pathologist, right? The better pathologists they will be to be able to serve their community. Absolutely. I totally agree with Emilio, what he says. And I also grew up in a very small place uh, uh, in India. You know, I mean, I know that what are our constraints, like, I mean, uh, even pathology, like histopathology is not well developed. Forget about immunohistochemistry or molecular methods. So, and we are lucky here that, you know, I mean, we have the experts teaching us. So that is the reason that like, you know, I mean, we are really passionate that, I mean, if we can somehow contribute uh, to the learning of people who are in remote uh, areas where like, you know, facilities are not much there. And we also like, you know, I mean, as Emilio said, you know, like if we reach out, at least in some way, we can update the pathologists in those remote areas and they can make a better diagnosis in their next few cases. And of course, it ultimately leads to better patient care. And then in a way, it's a kind of uh, contributing to patient care in those parts of the world. And we think really that uh, the onus is on us and it's our responsibility as well, because if we can share some medical knowledge uh, to parts of the world where, you know, I mean, facilities are not much there. You know, I think that one of the big differences with, with PathCast, I mean, you can go on YouTube and you can find information like this, but it, maybe it's not reliable or completely accurate. I mean, you, like you said, you have world renowned experts on PathCast talking about these things. And I mean, I mean right. it, it's not just for pathologists, right? right? I mean, anybody, the, anybody can watch it for free, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, that's part of it, right? It's, it's just, it's open. It's not, we, we've never required registrations or anything like that. If you're interested, you can just go in and watch it. And it's, you know, we, we try to, like you said, it's like we try to get um, have uh, experts in the field give these lectures so that we're bringing the most up-to-date knowledge in whatever subspecialty topic we're talking about. Right. I, I'm curious, have, have you seen an increase in viewership since uh, the pandemic has started? Has, has that affected your numbers? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we've, we, you know, that's, that's one thing that, that we noticed. I, I mean, I'm sure Rafat had a similar experience. I had a similar experience here where, as you can imagine, a lot of residency programs um, ended up sending their residents home. Right. And so that meant that a lot of, um, of mm -hmm. the, uh, educational initiatives and whatnot like they had to be somewhat interrupted some more than others and so i absolutely think that you know having the collection of lectures that we had organized by subspecialty 
um, it was great to be able to, in a way, offer that, right? To I mean, it's always been there, but I think that because of what's going on, um, more residency programs or more residents, they realize, okay, well, now we can watch, I don't know, 15, 20 lectures on GI pathology or 15 lectures on neuropathology. So I, you know, I absolutely think that that's been a, a contribution to residency programs and residents during the pandemic. Yeah, that's really very true. As Emilio said, you know, like uh, in the early days of the pandemic, we both realized that really like uh, resident teaching uh, is getting compromised. And that was our early days. Like, you know, we thought that let us, uh, you know, package all the lectures together. And as Emilio said, that we had made playlists so that, you know, we are having the GI lectures together, neuropath lectures together. And then again, we could use uh, internet and social networking platforms like Facebook and Twitter that, hey, the residents can actually look into these lectures and they are all organized. And so that at least some way, you know, we can uh, somewhat supplement that learning deficiency that the residents are going to suffer, not only in U.S., but in other parts of the world as well. And they are all free to access for them and then they can learn from the experts. Maybe now they have more time and they can go back to those lectures and, and learn now so that they are less busy at this time. And of course, their uh, teaching is affected adversely. Yeah, I, you know, another thing that I would mention is that, um, uh, for example, there, it wasn't just residents and fellows, and it's also medical students, right? You know, a lot of them were sent home and some yeah. here in Boston and, you know, Harvard Medical School, they ended up um, suspending most of their clinical rotations. And so one thing that the, uh, that uh, Mass General and Brigham did, they got together and um, it's, I'd say, what is it, over two months ago now, they put together what would be the first ever virtual pathology elective. And in putting that elective together, you know, they were putting together different resources. And it was great to see that actually one of the resources that they listed uh, for their virtual pathology elective were the PathCast lecture. So that oh, wow. we, we realized how much we've been able to contribute to the pathology community, right? Because now we're able to package these lectures, right, by subspecialty, whether it's GI pathology or cytopathology or liver pathology or neuropathology. And then to say there's a medical student that's interested in that topic, they can watch these 10, 15 lectures and you know, really get a deep understanding into this subspecialty. So, I mean, just seeing that happen, that, you know, that was, that, again, just made us feel great about what we've been doing and it's just very encouraging to keep doing what we're doing when you know when we see those kind of things happen. Um, same, uh, something similar is happening too at Johns Hopkins, right, Rafat? Right, right. Actually, I mean uh, that at Johns Hopkins too, we have quite a few speakers, you know, like from Johns Hopkins who have been giving podcast lectures, and and on their side too, like on their. Uh, website they have enlisted podcast as one of the resources for i mean like you know for 
teaching where they have they are also including because Johns Hopkins has a lot of academic resources. They have their iPad applications and who is there there, and they have also included our podcast lectures as a source. It's really a very encouraging for us to see that, so that you know we can continue in our efforts to um, reach out to the medical trainees. Do you have any experiences with patients, say, watching a PathCast lecture and actually giving you feedback about that, like in, that that it helped them in some way? Right, right. That's an interesting question, actually. So there was a recent lecture on pineal gland tumors uh, by one of the faculty from Johns Hopkins, and we were so pleasantly surprised that there were a couple of patients and who shared their stories and they wanted to have the, patient, the opinion of our expert speaker. And I still remember that they were discussing things about the pineal cyst that those patients had and our speaker was quite happy to answer them. And in fact, there was another more recent example, a young patient from India who reached out to us so he is awaiting a liver transplant himself for his liver disease, that's uh, primary sclerosing cholangitis. And he got to know that, you know, there is a PATCAS lecture coming up on liver transplant pathology. And he reached out to us with his uh, questions for the speaker. So it was really a very humbling experience for us. Wow. So what can we expect from PATCAS in the future? What, what, are the, uh, what are the plans going forward? Continue broadcasting lectures and just continue to expand the number of lectures that are available for each subspecialty. And if there's a subspecialty we haven't reached, you know, we're, we're coming for that subspecialty. We're, you know, we definitely want to uh, have more clinical pathology lectures. Uh, Rifat okay. and I are both anatomic and clinical pathologists. We're both board certified in AP and CP. And, you know, I think that, uh, at least you know our program. Um, I think a lot of programs do. They they tend to be very heavy on AP, and so sometimes uh, you know we forget a little bit about some of the CP lectures that we should be posting. But yeah, definitely we want to start posting more CP. As a matter of fact, I know we have um, some exciting microbiology lectures lined up. Um, oh, and potentially some exciting coagulopathy lectures lined up as well. Yeah, the, another thing like, you know, uh, we want to do probably that uh, we can kind of help through podcast bring pathology more out of the lab and face the public, you know. And I mean, we know that like pathologists play a big role in patient care, much more than it is actually perceived. And this has been one of our efforts to project a bigger role for pathologists. And, you know, the current pandemic is one example, actually. And we know that the pathologists are at the front line of the battle against the coronavirus. We talk about disease testing all the time, right? Yes. And uh, that's where pathologists come into the picture. And then pathologists are also performing autopsies. And there is this convalescent plasma for treating patients. So, in fact... We have already hosted four lectures, podcast lectures recently, which is centered around COVID-19. So two of them regarding laboratory testing, one about the use of convalescent plasma, and one of our speakers we invited from Taiwan, actually. So he's a pathologist who discussed how their country fought the war against virus, and we know that they had quite a lot of success. And we thought that we should share these success stories, which are rare these days, 
and so that others can learn as well. So we feel that Rajkas can go beyond this pathology and bring in and bring it more closer to people, you know? Absolutely. I just want to add one more thing. I mean, I would say that one goal or one main goal would just be to keep it relevant, right? Or keep things relevant. I mean, things get updated and some things get outdated. And so, you know, you, you, it's so you continuously have to keep having lectures and updating things, right? So right. I think that's one of our one of our goals is just to keep things relevant. And that, that's a perfect example, like what Rafat was saying, that, you know, sometimes you have to pivot. You know, we were not really having a lot of infectious disease lectures, right? But given the current situation and the coronavirus pandemic that we're going through right now, I mean, it's, it's, it's I think, our duty, right, to host some of these uh COVID-19 lectures and you know talk about the different experiences and how different labs are dealing with it and how testing is being done so I, absolutely just keeping the content fresh and relevant right right like he's very right and not always like you know that it is pathology like i mean this is a pandemic which has come out of the blue right and then we need to face it and as Emilia said to keep it quite relevant to the time Absolutely. Right. Well, I, I think it's very admirable what the two of you have have built with PathCast in just educating other pathology and lab professionals, educating the public. And, and like you said, trying to bring pathology out of the lab and shine a light on it. Uh, so any, any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up here? Well, yeah, I think uh, this is an ongoing journey that uh, we are so passionate about and we both want to continue it. And uh, what we believe that uh, perseverance will definitely be the key driving force as we embark on this journey into the future. And hopefully we would be able to make a global impact. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I just, I'm excited to see it grow even more, just continue to, you know, like I said, any subspecialty that we haven't tackled, we have our site set on it and we're, we're, you know, we're coming for it and we're going to start posting lectures on those that, you know, all those subspecialties. So it'll just, you know, our goal is just to continue to grow the content that's on PathCast and keep it fresh, keep it relevant. Right. I will uh, definitely share the links to, uh, you know, the YouTube, Facebook, Twitter links to PathCast in the show notes for this episode. This has been very interesting. Thank you both very much for being here. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Dennis. You're doing a great job. Big thanks to Dr. Magical and Dr. Manan. Go to the show notes for this episode. You'll find links to PathCast. Go and subscribe to PathCast. Make sure you subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And then share the episode and PathCast with someone you know. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. I am a member and the CFO of the American Association of Pathologist Assistants. This show does not necessarily represent the views of the AAPA and receives no financial support from the AAPA. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast. <laughs>